The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Our guest today, Melina Mara, veteran political photographer from the Washington Post, discusses life on the campaign trail and her own career track. My guest today, Melina Mara, has been an established political photographer for many years at the Washington Post. With an impressive body of work, she concentrates on the political arena with emphasis on the national political trail. A special note, her recent and ongoing work photographing 14 women in the U.S. Senate that began in 2001 has defined an important period in United States politics. Melina joins me today from the Washington Post studios. Melina, welcome to you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. It's uh, very much appreciated. Melina, I'd like to uh, take this program on a step-by-step approach. Um, starting with your childhood and memories of family life and working through your career and culminating in the bottom half of the hour in the body of work uh, that has really uh, been so important to you Mm -hmm. in photographing these uh, women in the the U.S. Senate. So if I may, could I begin uh, by going back uh, to the early days and and talking about that, please? Sure, sure, sure. Yes, please. What was it that you remember so well about your childhood days? Uh, what is it that you remember that possibly spurred you on uh, in your teens to looking at journalism and photography as a career? Well, you know, it's funny. It wasn't really in my, well, I guess maybe it was in my teens a little bit. My dad was a cameraman for CBS News for in New York City for 30-some-odd years, and He was definitely a bit of a rebel at CBS, um, I think. Uh, You know, he kind of would tilt his horizons and kind of play around where most cameramen... um, Oh, and by the way, they shot film then and not video like they do today. Um, uh, You know, they would be a little bit more mainstream, but but Dad definitely took it to more of an... I mean, more of an artistic height. And uh, and he gave me a camera when I was a kid and uh um and just said go have fun and uh you know it was just like a little i think it was a 126 cartridge little camera little kodak and uh um and i and i expressed myself through taking pictures and then we were a very well documented family and he would photograph us and just have fun doing it and pictures were a very big part of of my growing up and and every night sitting in front of the television and watching the evening news and seeing what Dad shot that day. Uh, uh, journalism was instantly a part of my life. Um, uh, we had two to three newspapers in the house uh, every day coming in. Uh, we would be 
you know, uh, reading them, discussing them. Politics, it's so funny. Politics was quite the thing in my house. My dad was a Republican. I became a Democrat, I think, simply when I was a kid, just to be on the opposite side of my father. And, uh, um, and we would have debates, and they would never be mean-spirited by any means. We would just have fun debating and getting to know the issues and talking about it. And my mom was not as political, probably, as my dad, um, even though my mom was in a, uh, a, you know, wonderful, passionate Italian woman. She definitely didn't get into it as much as I did. Uh, my sister really enjoyed it, too. I think my sister definitely, um, I mean, kind of got into it. But my dad uh, and I, I mean, had fun. So politics was kind of something that I always enjoyed. And uh, only when I got to college and I went to Sarah Lawrence did I realize that that uh, poli-sci and learning about uh, women in politics was something that appealed to me so. And I just carried that into my, uh, you, know, uh, you know, into my later years, basically. Was your father an extremely passionate man? I'm interested that there you have a mother, an Italian mother, very uh, passionate Italian mm-hmm. mother, mm-hmm. who perhaps wasn't that interested in, in her husband's work. But then again, on the other side, your father, was he very passionate, uh, very lively uh, uh, about his profession? Was he outspoken? In, in what he did on a daily basis? Hmm. Well, you know, he, he, he was much more interested in the stories. He, he would come home and he would tell us about who he met and what he saw and what his experiences were. He kind of kept the art to himself. I think it was a little bit more personal. And my dad was, it wasn't that he was a man of few words. That's really not it. Um, uh, but, you know, he, he, you know, he really was kind of a quiet artist, I think, uh, um, I'm half Czech and half Italian, and I think the Czech side is a little calmer, at least sometimes um, I find it to be, and that was my father. Um, uh, and, uh, um, uh, you know, I mean, he was much more into kind of more the, uh, more the journalistic side was the exciting side for him. I, 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 you know, I think he really did enjoy telling people stories and understanding the humanity of someone. Um, uh, and uh, um, and having a moment to be in someone else's shoes and documenting that and 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 bringing that to people every day. Uh, um, it, it, does yeah. that essentially mean that he was, although he was a cameraman, he was more assertive about story structure, about the the people that he was actually having placed in front of him. Well, you know, the thing is, is that then cameramen. Um, it, uh, were crews. And they're, they're crews today, too. If you look at probably, you know, uh, American or Canadian news crews today that come out of television stations, they're a lot smaller. They can be one-man bands. They can be two people. They can be a sound man and a cameraman. Um, then they were maybe four-man bands or, or bigger. You know, um, uh, you know, the cameraman, my father, was the head of the crew. You know, he had a sound man. He had his light guy. You know, I mean, he, he, you know, he had a grip, you know, I mean, he, he, you know, and then there was the producer and then there was the face or the reporter. Um, you know, so there were a lot of people in his crew and frequently my father would be um, the one who would be directing a lot of this and he would be hands on. He wasn't simply the guy that held the camera, you know, he had to be the journalist, um, which, which I think people forget or it's so behind the scenes that people don't know. Um, so, uh, um, so he, you know, he definitely did get into that part. I think sometimes because my dad didn't go to college, 
um, but he did go to school for uh, um, uh, being a photographer. Um, uh, I don't think he ever let that ever stand in his way of, of, of telling a good story. You mentioned that he was a staunch Republican. Uh, <laughs> he in, in his work, could he nevertheless remain impartial? Oh, in, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, and, and, and actually, I, 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 I remember having a discussion with him about this. I said, so how can you be, you know, how can you be neutral, Dad, if you're voting for Nixon? You know, I just remember having <laughs> a discussion with him. And, uh, you know, and about, you know, it was during Nixon's impeachment and, you know, when I was a teenager and, you know, and, and uh, um, yeah, I'm a young teenager, too. And, um, uh, and he said, don't ever doubt that I can be completely objective. That's what I'm paid to do. And that's, uh, you know, and that's what journalists do. They are objective and, and they put their opinions aside. And I remember him saying this to me in so many words in a very simple way. And he wasn't being proud or, or anything. It's just what you had to do to be somebody who was a good newsman. And my father was a good newsman. And that's what you'd have to do. If you were in front of the camera or behind the camera, that's what you had to do. Now, you, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, moved on to the Sarah Lawrence College and, oh, yeah, and yeah. you uh, studied political science. But in your biography, it, it does say that you were, you were turned off uh, and moved into teaching. Now, does that essentially mean that you found more importance in the vitality at that stage of the visual over being able to write about it? Uh, did you, were you already finding that there was much more strength, much more dynamic uh, a, a much stronger message in the photograph than there could be about uh, writing in terms of journalism? Well, um, I, um, well, you know, it really wasn't that. Um, I, you know, it was more that I, when I was at Sarah Lawrence, I was lucky enough to intern with the first congresswoman from New York State who was Bella Abzug. And Bella uh, as many, many people know, is the woman with the big hats, and, uh, but much, much more. Um, if anybody's seen the movie um, uh, um, Yummy Manhattan, Yummy by Woody Allen, they'll yes. yummy, remember Bella with yes. her hat. Um, and uh, uh, Bella was quite the person to work for. And this is when she was participating in Geraldine Ferraro's campaign uh, when she was running, I think, for vice president at the time. I'm trying to remember, actually. This was 19... Oy, uh, 1984, I think, um, and uh, um, and I was working in her office down on Beaver Street, and she had a private uh, firm down there where she was working for international women's rights, um, uh, um, and then she was also working with different women politicians around the country. Uh, and I was working on Ferrara's campaign with her and some other things, and Bella really gave me and and help me to truly understand. I was almost there from going to Sarah Lawrence and being poli sci and uh, um, and working um, and understanding uh, um, about women's studies. But Bella really showed me that that women need to be present and that women need to make a difference um, uh, in I mean lawmaking. And there just weren't enough to do that. They were too much of an anomaly, and we really needed to be. Um, uh, much more of a presence and much more represented. And so, I mean, that's why um, uh, I, I was thinking about actually being a lawyer and then going into politics. But 
when I kind of entered the whole law school arena and was a paralegal at a law firm, it, just the whole idea of being a lawyer turned me off, so I left it. <laughs> that was basically it. And uh, I had pretty much left the visual side and didn't just, thought, just had that as a hobby. Uh, um, and then just in the interim when I was trying to decide what to do, um, uh, I became an elementary school teacher, which was just so much fun. And it was all kind of a part of, and something my Italian grandparents taught me, something my Czech grandparents taught me. I had a very rich family of, of wanting to give back, of, uh, of, uh, of wanting to um, participate in, in society and doing something good for it, because why else are we here but to help others? Um, uh, and so that was always on my mind of wanting to do something with my life that I was giving back. And I thought, oh, politics, giving back. Well, later, when I, I found photojournalism, it was journalism, giving back, journalism. Ah, there you go. And so that's why I, I, I turned to journalism and photojournalism. And then when I went to graduate school, I, was, I, uh, I went for journalism and I, and I intensified in photojournalism. And at this stage, of course, you went through a, a great period of traveling. Uh, you worked for various newspapers, magazines around yes. the country. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure giving you a huge range of experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it at this stage, th- yeah. uh, and perhaps Bella being the, ca- the, the catalyst in a way, mm-hmm. that not only did you find the photographic form uh, being awarded to you a- as your future, but also uh, was it Bella in some ways that, that, that uh, spurred you on into later photographing the, the 13 women in the U.S. Senate? Oh yes, absolutely. I, I, I was working on a um, uh, for a newspaper in the Northwest um, uh, in um, uh, uh, in Washington State, and um, uh, and uh, there were two there were two women senators, um, or actually just about to be at that point two women senators, uh, um, but Senator Murray was the first one, and she was. Um, uh, uh, in a very, very tight race uh, for her Senate seat with, um, uh, with another woman, actually. And so I went to Washington, D.C. This is probably 1998. And uh, the newspaper sent me, and I went to D.C. This was the first time that I was in D.C. since I was a little kid. And, uh, um, and I was documenting the two women kind of going at each other here in D.C. even. And I followed them both around, day in the life of both of them. And that's when I realized that the nine women senators that were there, out of a hundred, this kind of uh, color in a sea of gray, um, were, even though they were so few, they always made a difference in, in, in my very limited contact with them during that five-day period. It was, they seemed more open. They were highly approachable. They were bringing issues to the floor um, uh, and to the debate that the guys were not bringing, uh, because they came from a different experience. Um, and, and it's not the guys weren't bringing things forward that were good. Um, the women were just bringing different things. So, uh, so, so, and so that was something, that story, that story that there were nine, and I was like, oh, wow, there are this many nine. And then I saw that there were going to be more. At, at, um, okay, in 1992... There were only two women senators. In 2001, 
they were sevenfold. Suddenly, um, 1992 was the year of the woman and the Anita Hill hearings and all that kind of stuff. And there was a huge, um, yummy reaction to that whole, you know, uh, Clarence Thomas, um, um, uh, yummy kind of issue and, uh, yummy sexual harassment. Uh, um, and, 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 and women politicians were being put into office, you know, just one after the other. And, uh, um, and it was soon 11 women in the Senate, then 13, and then in 2001, 14. And it was quite the sudden increase. And so I thought at that point that it was definitely time to do a story because there was just this, um, you know, the surge of influence, the surge of a presence, and the surge of women finally having a much louder voice than simply just this rare kind of peep from the back uh, um, you know, of a woman wearing red instead of gray. So, so essentially, you, at this stage, around yeah. this period, mm-hmm. were really witnessing an, a, a, a revolution in the Senate. I mean, before oh, then, it, a big before then, it was very much male dominated. Oh, yeah. So, uh, the boys' club—it really is the ultimate boys' club. I mean, in America, at least it used to be. And and. Beyond what you've expressed there, what is it again that you think that the women bring to the Senate? What is the the color? What is the mm-hmm. what what is the the difference that they bring? Mm-hmm. Is it a more? Is it a a, a greater uh, fairness, openness, transparency? Uh, um, get down to the to the the bold issues. You know, mm-hmm. quicker. What have they? What have they achieved for the Senate as a body? Well, probably the first thing I would say, and probably the most, probably the thing that's the most obvious is bipartisanship. Um, the dean of the women is Senator Mikulski, and she's from Maryland, and she's been there, I think, since 1978, and um, uh, and every month. At least she used to, anyway, when there were 14 women senators, um, which now there are 17. Um, uh, she would have monthly uh, dinners where all of the women senators, no matter what party, uh, uh, would have dinner together. There would be no staff and no media allowed. It would just be the women senators. And they would talk about, they'd talk about anything. They'd talk about what are the best shoes to wear. Um, on the hard marble floors of uh, of the Capitol, you know what's the you know uh, um, you know uh, problems with staff, you know uh, political issues. I mean, they would definitely discuss political issues, um, different issues that they could get together on that they could work bipartisanly. There is actually um, uh, the Center for American Women in Politics, which is a really wonderful organization um, uh, is kind of the preeminent source for information about women in politics in America. They did a study where they talked about how um, women go across the aisle more often than men lawmakers. And they will do bipartisan work, either woman to woman or woman to man. They are the ones that make the bridge, either with Senator Mikulski getting, getting those women together no matter what party, uh, or, or, or any of those women trying to uh, work on issues 
the, uh, um, in a partisan way to get things done. And really, in, in the Senate, if anybody's made a study of the Senate, how they get things through and how they get things done, how they get things passed um, uh, with the best success is with both sides being on the team and not just one side. Would you say, therefore, that that defines in them the ability to sort of tuck away the pride and use oh, yeah. use common sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, when you are spending so much time with these women, uh, both in Washington and then, mm-hmm. of course, you spent a lot of time with them on the road, yeah. you clearly learnt a huge amount about the way they operate, mm-hmm. how did that affect okay. your photography? How did how how did you how could you find that you could best illustrate that by using your talents with the camera? Well, like I, I you know, it's so interesting. You know, to photograph a woman is frequently so much different than I would photograph a man, and I don't say that because of gender bias. I say that because of what women do in comparison to men. Um, I have never visited so many bathrooms yeah. <laughs> uh, um, when I when I photog- when I started photographing women primarily um, uh, because it's not because they're using the bathroom it's because they're checking themselves out it is it, it is women are held to a different visual standard than men you know you look you know, if you look up on the campaign stage and there's you know, five male politicians and two women politicians. The male politicians, if it's a hot summer day, have their coats up and their sleeves rolled up and, you know, maybe their hair is a tad must, maybe. Um, uh, uh, but the women are perfect. Their jackets are on, their nylons are, you know, don't ever run in them. You know, the, their, their hair is lovely um, because they are rated. Um, not only about, uh, you know, it's not only what they say and how they say it, it's how they look and how they present themselves. And unfortunately, women are still held to that, to that way of, of uh, needing to present themselves in a certain physical way. Well, I'm, but, I'm, but, but then again, I'm sure that that's how they would want to be presented. Um, not necessarily. Um, um, I think many of the women are, are uh, um, uh, that's an unnecessary evil that they would rather avoid, they would rather not have to bother with, because it isn't about being a woman. I think Senator Mikulski would probably say this. She'd say, these aren't women's issues. These are everyone's issues. You know, this is, this is not about me being a woman. This is about what I'm saying. The, um, um, you know what? I think the women really at this point, with 17 that they have in the Senate and, oh, golly, I think in the House, it's, it used to be 70, now it's high 80s, I think, and excuse me that I don't know this. Um, uh, but with so many women in, 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 uh, um, in American politics, and still, uh, you know, parity is far from being reached, um, uh, but still, they really want to get beyond the gender, and they really just want to get to the job of lawmaking. Um, and I think if you speak to most of them, they'll probably say the same thing. I, um, I, I have to ask this question, you know. Um, in your travels and following these ladies, and I think mm-hmm. it's hysterical that you spend most of the time in the bathroom because they're, they're, <laughs> they're maintaining their appearance, which yeah. I wholeheartedly respect. Um, <laughs> yes. Do you think it's a fair statement to say that these ladies, at the best of times, can ring circles around the men? Um... Well, you know what? 
Um, it's a fair question, isn't no, it? No, I think it's a very fair question. Uh, Senator Lincoln's from Arkansas, Senator Blanche Lincoln. And I remember her saying once, um, she said, you know, um, if you're in a hearing and you have to ask a question, and let's say you're new to the Senate, let's say you're a freshman senator, uh, the male senators, you know, you can ask a good question. You know, you're a new male senator. You asked a good, competent question. Um, I think this is when she first joined the Senate, and that was probably in 2003. No, excuse me, uh, 2000, something like that. And, uh, um, and she said, but when a female senator asks a question, she's brand new. She better have her stuff together. She better be working at 150% because she's a woman, She's a woman. These ideas are still around. She's a woman, and she better be better than that man. So even in the se- even in the Senate, it's still a male-dominated environment. Oh my heavens! Oh my heavens! It's it, it's it, it's dying a slow death. <laughs> it really is dying a slow death. There definitely is. I, 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 there's still a glass ceiling. There still is. They're there, but they're still pushing up. And you know, and their windows open and their doors open. That ceiling is still kind of there, and there's still, I think there's still remnants of it. And so still, I think a woman has to work harder at being. Um, well, until such it, time as the Senate is completely full of women, then they won't have to work harder anymore. Oh, not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> I, I think parody is the magic. You know, people say to me, um, oh, 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 Melina, you should do an update on your book and your show. And I said, well, hey, you know, I did 14 and 14 at a time where there was just 14, and it was really, you know, and, 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 and the difference was seen and obvious. Um, and now there are only 17. And that was, what, that was 2001? That book came out 2003, 2004, something like that. The show was 2003. Um, uh, and now it's 2010, and that's all it's gone up is 17 to 17? Three? You know, I mean, really, I mean, not until it approaches parity, in my opinion, is it really worth saying, wow. You know, uh, you know, America really has, you know, come to a point where it has true gender representation of its population, uh, you know, which is, I take it, you know, w- you know where we'll be eventually. This is a very hard question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the increasing number of women in the Senate bring a higher level of ethics, professionalism? Do you think that they force that? Huh. Uh, I actually think the system uh, um, is something that frequently has too much influence on on lawmakers. Um, The system that's already in place. Um... But um, I do think that many of the women that come in have very good intentions. Uh, and I think, um, I, I think all of them in the long run have good intentions, as every lawmaker does, uh, as most lawmakers do. I, when, you know, whenever I, I'm a great studier of people. Yeah. And I like to see in people a consistency. Um, I'm interested mm-hmm. that you can photograph these wonderful ladies behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, in bathrooms, whatever it is. 
You know, with us men, I mean, we can get up. I'm sure that sometimes we could even walk into the Senate unshaven and look like gentlemen of the road, and it wouldn't make too much of a difference. And exactly, I, really, I, and exactly. I realize where you're going with this with women. Yes. But when you have this great privilege of being able to photograph women in both of these environments, in front of and behind, is there a consistency in their character? Are they unwavering in, in their outlook? It doesn't change them. They don't. They, they, I, I'm assuming that they don't relax beyond the norm. Wherever they are, whatever they're doing, they are solid. They are direct mm. and have a mission. I think they're all human beings. I mean, they're, they, they have their beliefs. They have their belief system. Um, uh, um, most of them stand on pretty, pretty solid ground of who they are. Um, I think a, a Senator, Yemi Murkowski from Alaska, um, uh, you know, understands uh, what her constituents want and, and, and tries to... Uh, give them that. I mean, she's also, um, I mean, she's a Republican, and she um, is working along with her party right now to really um, uh, find some, uh, I mean, go to the grassroots of the party and, I mean, work on that. So she's very, you know, and that's very her. She's very grassroots, um, I mean, kind of politician. So she's pretty solid in that. I mean, you go to Senator Boxer, who's kind of on the other side of the spectrum to a certain extent, you know, who's Who's very much a, a I mean, liberal Democrat. Um, uh, um, she's very much environment focused, um, uh, and that's her committee, and she chairs it. And she has taken the torch, and she is running with it. She is very solid in that. Um, you know, I mean, you will go to a, you know, I mean, Senator Clinton, you know, who's now our, you know, I mean, Secretary of State, and uh, um, you know, and and she was very much, you know, I mean, defense and foreign relations. And those were things that she knew and she was interested in and, and, and became somebody, you know, who was an authority on. Senator Feinstein, same thing. You know, defense, foreign relations, I mean, authority. These people stand on solid ground. You know, these, these women are, 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 um, uh, are sources that, that, um, uh, that reporters go to if they want to know something. Um, almost all of the women senators, and I can go across the board and I can talk about things that they are, um, they are known for, um, and they work on and work towards because they are policies and issues that they are very, very interested in. They are solid in these things. Um, yeah, I mean, all of these women, I think, have, 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 have interests. They have ethics. They have, um, um, I'm just trying to think of a word for them. They are, they are, you, as, they are really no different from the men, except that I do think that they that they also feel, and I am going to just add this. Um, I think they all think that that they need to um, work doubly hard because they are because they are the woman in the room. So, and they are may be the only woman in the room. Well, no doubt the yeah. pressure must be enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have that camera and you're photographing these ladies mm -hmm. in front of, behind the scenes, you must, you're so close to them at times, you must see their strengths appear, you must see oh, sure. their fragility oh, sure. appear. And have, do you sense that very quickly? And does that, uh, does that automatically appear in your photography? 
do you always do you always know that you are there sensing both of those um, emotions and 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 have a comfort level that my goodness me my photograph is going to reflect that perfectly well there's a picture that I took of Senator Boxer um, she's very small she's uh, is she under five foot no she's just She's just above five foot. She can't be under five foot, or she'd be, she'd be a small person. She'd be a little person. Um, uh, um, but she was talking to constituents, and when she's at the podium, she has to stand on a box, and it's called boxer's box, because a standard podium is too high for her. So she, they always have to bring in a box for her to stand on, which is quite humorous. Um, and she actually probably finds it very funny. Um, uh, um, but there was one picture that I took of her, and I laid behind her. And people were wondering what the heck this weird woman with the camera was doing. But I was noticing that she kept putting her foot um, either behind her other foot, or she was kind of kinking her foot in kind of an uncomfortable way, because, as I said before, they're human beings. And they have to stand before the public, and they have to be public, they have to be on in front of the camera, and frequently they have to be on behind the camera because they have 24-7 jobs. Politicians, no matter what their gender, are always going. This is being a public figure. This is being a lawmaker. This is serving people that put you in office. Um, this is serving um, uh, um, also, um, uh, you know, perhaps uh, special interests, you know, that you also... Uh, um, uh, you know, may have an interest in yourself. Um, you know, there are many things that happen in politics. Um, uh, so I was photographing her and her and her foot kinked to the side so that she looked like she was uh, kind of uncomfortable. And so she was. She was talking to these constituents and there were certain points where she was kind of grasping for an answer and she was thinking about things and she was definitely kind of, not, you know, you could even say maybe struggling a little bit. And so her body was reflecting what she was going through. And that's what I was trying to get through photographing that picture. You know, with her, you know, it doesn't have her face and it has her feet and it has her legs. And then you can see the audience. And so, you know, you don't need to see her face to see that she's feeling something. Are you ever in a position... Uh, this this whole time since mm -hmm. this the, this particular project started, where you stand there and you just feel like climbing under, a, uh, just digging yourself under a table because you are so embarrassed for a senator because of a position that she's being placed in. Oh no, oh no, because uh, that's not because I'm I'm a documenter. I don't feel okay. So you're a journalist, essentially. Yes, you're, I'm a journalist. Yes, and I, and 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 that's and she is going <clears> through that. I am not going through that, but I am documenting what she is going through or what he is going through. No matter what I'm photographing, no matter if I'm photographing, uh, I, I was down in uh, for, in um, uh, in Fort Hood in Texas. Uh, um, I mean, when the shootings happened, um, and I documented the morning and the aftermath, and and. Uh, it's not that I was distant from the feelings of what um, the soldiers were going through in their families, but I'm but but I'm a journalist, and I and I have to have a little bit, a little bit of you know professional kind of autonomy distance to um, have have a clear head 
so that I can see what's before me uh, um, and then fairly document. So, and so, the same thing goes for when I'm um, uh, you know, documenting politicians. What, if any, influences have you taken from during your career that shapes your photography? Um, influences from, I'm sorry, say that again? Influences from, from other photographers, influences other journalists other that, that, oh that, have, that have changed the way that you look at situations, that have changed mm-hmm. the way that you mm-hmm. frame a photograph, mm-hmm. create the form mm-hmm. of a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you want to talk about political photography, P.F. Bentley is one of my favorite political photographers, and he's not really photographing much anymore, but he did several books... Um, one, he joined the Clinton campaign when Clinton was first running uh, for office, and he he was working for Time magazine then. And uh, and he said to Time, I think I have the story right. Um, he said to Time, so that viewers of the magazine realize that these are political pictures. I'm going to shoot this project of the Clinton campaign in black and white and not color. And this was quite the change since, like, the big thing was color. And so this is the early 90s, right? So, um, so all of his images were in black and white. So when people opened up this basically color magazine, and when they got to these black and white pictures, they knew they were politics. And the wonderful thing about black and white is that the color is, can be an added storyteller, but it also can be a distraction. So when you take the color away from a picture... You then have the moment that's happening in the picture. You have the graphic elements. You may have moments between people, relationships, different things. Those things are now the focus, and the color is now gone. So you have less distraction, and you go more for kind of the potency in the picture. So, um, so he did that, but the, the best thing that he did was, as this highly objective photographer, he did not have an agenda. He told them this when he entered... Um, uh, uh, this realm of the campaign, and he joined their campaign, which was kind of reluctant. At first they didn't want him to, but then they said yes. And he just produced the most intimate work of a campaign that I have ever seen, that I think has ever been done. Um, I strive to do it. I strive to get that inside, but it's all about access. It's all about access... um, uh, if you don't have the access, you don't have a story. And the one thing that Bentley got is that he got in. He got behind the scenes. He got behind the mics and lights. He got to where Clinton was being uh, caressed and held by Hillary, where they had just finished a pizza and were watching, you know, uh, the tallies come in, you know, I mean, for a primary, you know, and they were exhausted and kind of, ugly and tired looking, but it didn't matter. But that was real. He, he, he got to places that were real, and that's what I strive for all the time. Even if they don't give me access, even if, if I'm forced to, uh, um, I mean, to photograph the photo op, um, you know, I'll photograph the moments between the moments because they're, the staffs that created these photo ops are human beings. And, and, and the politicians that are within these photo ops are, are humans as well, and they will show what they're thinking, and they'll show what they're doing. They'll show what's behind the show. 
Does, um, does, and I'll photograph the moments between the moments there and hopefully catch the real story. And I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, go Marina. ahead. You just go ahead. That, that drive that you're talking about, that almost sounds as if it's addictive. <laughs> addictive. That's interesting. Um, you know, it's funny. I... Uh, I think I've always had problems with authority figures <laughs> or something. There's something in me. But, but uh, you, you know, I, I, I frequently feel as a journalist that I'm not working for my editor. I'm not working for my managing editor. I'm working for the person that buys the newspaper or goes online and is reading the Washington Post online and looking at the pictures. Those are the people that I'm working for. I, uh, I'm working for the readers, and those readers are, are, are not frequently privy to what's happening uh, behind the scenes. They're not privy to who, who that person is that they're voting into office. They, they want to know before they go into that booth to vote or, or voting online or wherever they're voting on you know, their little punch card, um, you know, they want to know who this human being is, and it's my job to tell them who that human being is. So if I don't do my job, you know, I shouldn't be doing it. Do you, um, do you see yourself... That drives me. Do you see yourself foremost as a photographer or, or more than that? Oh, I'm a journalist, which means I tell stories with pictures. So I'm a visual journalist, if you want to be more technical about it. And, and do, you, do you see the visual as being much more powerful uh, for yourself as a creator than the written word? Well, in, I mean, today, today, um, uh, you know, the image has become the great communicator of our society, and there is no doubt about it. A hundred percent of the people look at the picture that's on the page. That's the first thing they look at. That's the first thing that grabs one, uh, I mean, grabs the person. If they go to a site and they look at the site, if they go to a newspaper box and they're about to buy the newspaper, um, unless it's a banner headline in, like, you know, 72 type, you know, they're going to see the picture first. And uh, um, so 100% of the people see, I mean, the picture, so it's my job to grab them. Um, uh, and people aren't reading today. People are looking. Yes. And, uh, and so because that's true my job even becomes more important because my images have to not only communicate something that pulls them into that box to buy that newspaper, it also has to tell a story. And so that multi-layered, multi-themed image, that, 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 that one-two punch kind of image doesn't only grab them, but it tells them something. And then it makes them read the story. Um, and so, you know, that's my job is to make them read the story and to feel something, hopefully. Uh, to have some kind of reaction. So it is, I don't know, I, uh, I actually think being a photojournalist today is, is, um, is uh, more important than it was before. So how do you see the political environment now? We are clearly in very changing times. Oh, yeah. Um, how do you read it? How, how do you, you experience this? You, you see these characters, these senators, these people around you, is there a greater sense of urgency now in, in what your subjects hmm. are doing? What, what is the general feeling? Do you have a, uh, can you gauge that? Urgency. Um, well, you know, there's more partisanship now in the U.S. 
Uh, that's definitely obvious. Um, because of that, less things are getting done. Um, uh, bipartisanship is definitely more successful at moving issues along uh, um, than being partisan. Um, because that, there is a frustration factor that's increasing, uh, that, that we can't get things done. Why am I here if I can't get anything done? My constituents are saying I'm not getting anything done. Um, that kind of sense of frustration is causing an urgency, so I, so I think that's a well-chosen word, um, that we need to get things done uh, because we're not getting anything done. Uh, I think for that reason, um, I, I am beginning to focus more on the um, agitation um, and the and the lack of cooperation that I'm seeing before me as, as I see the stories developing and the relationships breaking down um, uh, in, the, in the politics and the politicians before me. I'm going to be, I, I have been fo- uh, I mean, focusing a lot on the Republican Party, who is finding, who's looking for their grassroots support, um, uh, who are trying to kind of reconnect with their issues again and and kind of rear up, uh, you know, maybe as as a more evolved party, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, American politics, you know, always go through kind of peaks and valleys and changes, um, uh, and uh, I, I think we're going through something now with the Democrats being in power, they're kind of looking at themselves differently. With the Republicans out of power, they're obviously reassessing. Um, uh, so this is a very interesting time to document in America. As a visual journalist, um, I think I'm going to find a lot more access to tell stories with Republicans than I am with Democrats. Uh, the Democrats um, have a lot to lose. So thus, them letting me in to photograph them will be less. Uh, the Republicans have more to gain by being seen uh, and, and, and for them to show what they're doing. Thus, they'll let me in. Um, so that's kind of what I'm seeing right now. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, the Tea Party uh, convention is going to be in Nashville um, at the end of this week, and I'm going to be going there. And the Tea Party is a conservative uh, um, uh, wing of the GOP, and I'm going to go see what they're doing. Is there? It, would it be? Would it also be accurate to go beyond the word urgency and actually use desperation? No. No, I don't think there's any desperation. No, no. I, uh, I, I, I think this is just okay. I'm only 47 years old, so I can't say. And 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 yes, I've I've uh, I've read a bit of I mean political um, uh, uh, American history, but um, uh, uh, I have to say this just seems like it is a country going through uh, a political. Evolutions, changes, uh, um, and uh, um, and and looking for leaders. Uh, could that be called? looking for solutions. And could that be called a rebirth? Oh, I, 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 I think uh, um, uh, in some ways, uh, I think we're going to see new faces, and I think we're going to see some old faces. I think we already are, are uh, uh, and we're seeing both. Um, uh, a rebirth? No, I mean not really. I think maybe uh, I mean reincarnations <laughs> of some uh, 
um, uh, politicians and public figures that we have seen, and now we may be seeing them in new roles. Um, uh, and then also some young faces uh, that we have not seen who have something to say um, and now maybe have a chance to say it through different uh, mediums like the web um, uh, or, you know, as bloggers or as, as young politicians coming in uh, where there's now maybe a little space and a little room for them to be heard. Um, uh, Chairman Steele, who's the head of the Republican Party, is definitely an interesting voice. He doesn't, um, he doesn't always conform to what the GOP wants him to say, and, that's, um, uh, and that makes, uh, makes it kind of fun I mean, to report on him um, and to watch the GOP going through their growing pains. Um, uh, and then the Democrats kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, having a president uh, um, uh, that, uh, you know, is really learning how to be president uh, and, has, uh, and has a lot of ideas. But when you're president, I think you realize some ideas are, are, are realistic that can move forward and some may not be too realistic because now that I'm president, now I know that there are these kind of I mean, restrictions and those bureaucracy, and there's a lot uh, that um, that has to be done before there's actual change. It is fascinating to me to listen to photographers at your level who have this remarkable access to these amazingly high-profile people. Um, you know... You David, can I stop you for a minute? Yes, of course. You know, it's so funny. I, I think what... I think what people have to understand is, yes, we frequently get inside, but more and more frequently, we have to do our reporting from uh, more of a surface kind of arena of the photo op uh, kind of thing uh, um, to, um, you know, meaning, I mean, the press conference, um, uh, the rally. Um, uh, you know, um, there were times when, when uh, photojournalists were given great access. There's this wonderful picture um, uh, um, of, uh, was it Eisenhower? Oh, God, oh God who was it? Oh, no, 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 it was LBJ. So LBJ, uh, um, uh, when he was president, he was having a meeting with a staffer. I think he was a little upset with the staffer because um, uh, he, uh, I think he wanted to make him feel a little uncomfortable. So it's a picture of LBJ sitting on the toilet, and the staffer is basically having a meeting with LBJ while LBJ is in the bathroom, going to the bathroom. I know this photograph. Yes. And so this is the kind of access that photographers used to have. Now, let me tell you, the White House photographer today, Pete Souza, I'm sure it does not have that kind of access today. It would be hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that um, uh, frequently uh, um, photojournalists would be able to go behind the scenes at a rally and document um, uh, um, a politician before they go on stage in, in, in more of a regular, you know, it, it would be more common now it's a rarity. Um, they are so protective of their image because the image can be damaged so easily. 
and in a minute, some 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 slanderous thing can go off on Twitter, and they could be ruined for a week and need to climb back out of you know bad poll numbers. You know, so really, they have more to lose by giving us access than more to gain. So what I'm saying is, is that access and and um, has been cut so much, and the limitations to our um, um, uh, visual documentations that we are not as close as I think people think we are. Well, is that good or bad? Oh, it's horrible, and it's not. And it's not. It's it's horrible for obviously a journalist, but who it ends up being uh, um, horrible for it is obviously the reader. What is that? Is obviously the voter. What is that suggesting about the system? Oh my God, the system is 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 breaking. The system is too closed. The system is is not giving the voter a chance to really know who the candidates are, so they can make um, a good decision on who should be serving them in office. So who's that, really going to make the best choices for them? So that really wrecks the idea of transparency. Oh, it totally uh, that, wrecks that, the idea of that, transparency. That they, that they quote to be at the top of their agenda. Oh, yeah, and it totally cripples the watchdog, which is us, of doing our job. Now, really, journalists have become much better at what they do, I think, because they need to be to get, um, uh, 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 to get beyond the lack of access. So I've become probably a little more um, a breaker, of a, a breaker of the rules, a little more wily, um, um, you know, people will say, you know, Melina's so sweet, Melina's so nice, be careful, I mean, she'll sell you a bridge, you know, because I'll be, you know, I'll be schmoozing somebody, although I'll be honestly schmoozing somebody. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, but you have to be persuasive, you have to be likable, you have to try your best to get in that door, the door they don't want you to go into, because, because I need to tell that story so that I can bring it back to the readers, because that's a, because that you know, you want to know who that person is, you know, who's trying to get your vote. In our last minute, uh, can you tell me what it is that you truly love about the art and truly love about your job? Oh, my God. Oh, gee. If I'm photographing politics or if I'm photographing, oh, my heavens, uh, a, 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 a Labor Day parade or a hot air balloon race or... Oh, I don't know. I mean, anything. I, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I may be um, a political photographer at times. I'm also a general assignments photographer, which means I photograph everything. And, and um, I, I love to photograph people's stories. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just nosy, and journalism gives me the opportunity <laughs> to just be nosy, you know, um, uh, I mean, professionally. But I'm... I, I really enjoy visually um, making images that dynamically tell someone's story in a way um, uh, with emotion and meaning, and um, uh, uh, and and that the and that that person, that subject, let me in. Um, I thank them so much because that's really that's really a gift is actually to be led into someone's life. So. Melina Mara of the Washington Post it has been such an enormous pleasure to talk to you today I am so grateful for you joining us well thank you
you, David, so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed this too. Well, thank you. And to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this program as much as I have. You can visit our official website, davidgibbons.org. There is a blog site that you can leave questions for any of our guests, and I'm sure they'll be happy to respond to anything that you may have for them when they have a chance. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.